13. Plantings of cotton or coppice glossy pumesti, and tobacco or tabronicociana tabacum are raised in the clearings. The former is planted on the hillsides, where it matures in three or four months. The plant seldom reaches a height of two feet, and the bowls are small, doubtless due to lack of care and suitable fertilization. Tobacco seeds are sprouted in beds similar to those used for the rice, and the same magical device is used to ensure a lusty growth. The young plants are carefully watered and shaded until they reach a height of 5 or 6 inches. They are then transplanted to hillside clearings, or to unused rice fields, where they are set out about 3 to a foot. This transfer generally takes place near the beginning of the dry season, so that the crop will be sure to mature without the damaging effect of water on the leaves. The plants while lusty do not attain the size of those grown in the valley regions of the interior. As soon as the leaves begin to turn a dark yellow, they are cut off and are strung on slender bamboo sticks play elex, which are then hung up in the house. When nearly dry, they are laid in piles, and are occasionally turned to prevent rust or mildew from forming. A small amount of indigo, Tayum indigofera tinctoria is raised, generally in open spots near the villages. The plants receive little or no attention, yet still attain a height of about 3 feet. The leaves and branches are placed in water for a few days, and are then boiled, together with a little lime, the resultant liquor being used as a dye for cotton thread. No product receives more attention in the lore of the Tingian than the climbing vine known as log piperusti. It was formerly in universal use in connection with the chewing of betel nut. Today betel nut is less common in this region. But this leaf and the arica nut still play an important part in all ceremonies. According to tradition, it was possible in the old times to tell the fate of an absent friend by noting the condition of a log vine planted by him prior to his departure. The vine is now trained on poles and trellises, near to many houses, among the larger cultivated plants and trees. The banana musapara diziaca, coconut cocos nucifera, and bamboo bambusaris are the most important. At least 20 varieties of bananas are raised in Abra. The fruit of some of these is scarcely larger than the forefinger, while others are quite large. The common type bears a rather small, yellow fruit locally known as Saba. In Minabu and several other villages, plantings covering three or four acres are to be found, but the usual plot is small, and is situated near to the house of the owner. Suckers, which sprout from the roots of mature plants, are set out as needed either to make new groves or to replace the old stalks, which are cut down after bearing. Both bud and fruit are eaten. The latter are cut on the stem while still green, and are hung in the house to ripen, in order to protect them from bats and fruit-feeding birds. The coconut milk is not raised in groves, as in the Christianized districts, but in many villages every house has two or three trees towering above it. Even the interior mountain settlements, like Lingay, Bai, and Likuan, are hidden beneath these trees, thus incidentally disposing of the fable that the coconut tree will not grow out of sight of the sea. Young trees have to be protected by fences during the first two or three years of growth, or they will be uprooted by the pigs, but from that time on they require little or no care. They are not tapped for sap, as is customary in most parts of the Philippines, but notches are cut in the tree trunks in order to supply foothold for the fruit gatherer. The nuts are cut off with a knife as soon as ripe, else they may fall and cause death or injury to people below. No other fruit serves the people in so many ways. The juice is relished as a drink, the meat as a food, the oil as a food and hair dressing, the shells serve as dishes and cups, or are carved into a ladles, 
while the fibrous covering of the nut is converted into foot wipers, thread brushes, and the like. The beetle nut, Dwayarica catechuel is also found in some villages, particularly in the mountains. It is a tall, slender palm which yields the nut so prized throughout the islands for chewing. Mango trees, Manga mangifera indica L appear here and there in valleys and on mountain sides, where the seeds have doubtless been carried by birds or travelers, but considerable groves are found in many districts. The fruit is picked before it is ripe, and is eaten as it becomes mellow. Other trees and shrubs which are occasionally planted are, ADIS and Onusquamosa L an American plant prized both for its fruit and bark the latter being used in road making. Atatawa jothrophimultifida L, also found in a wild state. The fruit is used as a purgative. The Jothrofa kirkas L is also used. Dolaginavero carambola L or coromandel gooseberry. The fruit is eaten without cooking. Lanca artocarpus indigrifola L jackfruit. Mailing coppas or coppas twins it say the pandadragaerin. Also known by the Ilocano as coppas sangri. This so-called Chinese cotton is a small tree with few, but perfectly straight, branches, which radiate from the trunk in horizontal lines. It produces elliptical pods which burst open when ripe, exposing a silky white cotton. The fiber is too short for spinning, but is used as tinder and as stuffing for pillows. Orange lopbon and lime locus and trees are greatly prized, but appear only occasionally. They receive no care, and consequently yield only inferior fruit. The Piazavero bilimbiel is a garden tree which produces an acid fruit used in cooking. Sant al sandoricum indicum cav. Trees are raised both for the fruit and for timber. It is said that house posts of this wood are not attacked by white ants, wild plants and trees. Few of the wild growths have escaped the attention of this people, and many are used as food and medicine, as well as for fiber materials and bark cloth. Among those used for food, the following are the most important, Apang or Sapang Bixeorilana Elolosa Pantidesmagisimbilagdeirn, by Abaz or lemon guavasidium guavavrel an American shrub which now grows wild, and in great abundance, in the mountains, Balatong phasolis mongoel, only the seeds are used, gomoxpificulobium dulcebenth, an American tree which now grows spontaneously in northern Luzon, the fruit is eaten, while the bark is sometimes used for tanning, epocosophocarpus tetragonalabus dc herbaceous vine infrequently seen in the gardens, the young pods are used as a condiment, Cochiali unitri or wild leek. Catodices bania grandiflora p. Only the flowers are eaten. Comral alianthus lizomacus blanco. Vil. Calot bioscoria de monarox. A tuber. Poisonous if eaten without special preparation. It is cut into small pieces. And is placed in running water for several days. After which it is cooked. Comedies like opersicum Tiny tomatoes which are eaten raw or cooked. Labakalakasia and a crumb shot. Longboa Eugenia Jambolana lamb. Olos issues SD. A low climbing herb. The stems and leaves of which are used in place of vinegar. Paldafazolis lunatis L. Civipine. Silly capsicum frutessens L. Small red peppers. The American chili. Used as a condiment. Specimens of about 20 other food plants and trees were obtained. But their identification was impossible. The wild growths used as medicines or in the manufacture of string, rope, and bark cloth, will be mentioned under those headings, plants and trees used in the treatment of disease, most sickness is thought to be caused by spirits, either with evil intent or to punish some wrongdoing or oversight on the part of the people, 
to placate or bribe these superior beings. Elaborate ceremonies are held, but in addition to these a number of simple remedies are made use of. The efficacy of some of these medicines is explained by the fact that certain leaves or infusions are distasteful to the spirits of disease, which, consequently, take their departure. Again, a trouble such as a toothache is caused by a small wordum which is gnawing at the tooth. To overcome this, the bark and leaves of the alum tree are thoroughly beaten, and are applied to the face. The wordum smells the crushed leaves, and straightway enters the poultice which is then burned. The spirits which bring the cholera can be driven away by burning the leaves of Sobo Sobloom Rabalsamithera, Bang Bang Shethipti Swaytholan's Boyer, and Dala, beneath the house, likewise, the bark of the Bonny, keeps the bearers of constipation at a distance. Bang Bang Shet is also considered as a cure for stomachache, diarrhea, and is an aid in bringing on menstruation. When used for these purposes, the root is boiled, and the liquor is drunk. The fresh leaves will also relieve a pain in the stomach if applied to it, while the fruit is eaten to cure diarrhea. If the patient is already affected with cholera or dysentery, the leaves of the sobo sob are placed in a jar of water at the mouth of which a clay ball is suspended, and the whole is then completely covered with banana leaves. The pot placed over a fire, and the steam being unable to escape is absorbed by the clay. Later this is crushed, is mixed with water, and is swallowed by the patient. Lard burn to a crisp is likewise mixed with water, and is drunk to relieve diarrhea. Fever is a frequent ailment, and several medicines are employed against it. The most common is to crush the leaves of the dangla vitex negunduel in vinegar made from basi, and to add to this a fourth part of urine. The patient drinks a shell cup of the liquor, is washed in cold water, and then is briskly rubbed with fine salt. Young banana leaves are applied to the flesh, and over these blankets are placed. This is repeated twice daily until the fever is broken. Wild tomato leaves, pounded and applied to the abdomen, are also considered valuable in causing the patient to sweat. If the trouble is unusually severe, a hot bath is prepared by boiling the leaves of the lemon, ADIS and Onusquamosa L and Toltolum, trees in water. After the patient has been bathed in this, he is wrapped in blankets. The same remedy is used to cure fits. Snake bite is treated by chewing the bark of the Alonin Stradley's Asper Lauer, or Casabon Argemon Mexicana L or the root of the Talabotab Caparis Micracanta DC all of which cause vomiting. The fruit of the Soloyot Corchoris Olatoris L when baked and ground to a powder, likewise produces vomiting, and is used for any kind of poisoning, to relieve the itch. The juice of the Cabotidilufa Acutangula rocks Biobosidium guayavrel or lulufitis hololi blanco is mixed with vinegar and soot, and is applied to the skin. The milky exudation of the Kalindwaya euphorbia nerufoya l is also placed on the affected parts. During the rainy season the people are greatly troubled with small blisters which form between the toes and quickly break down, leaving open sores. To harden the feet, they hold them over burning straw. Certain other aids against disease are also employed. Cracked feet are treated with carabao dung, the nest of a small cave bird needle is crushed in water, and is drunk as a cure for coughs, while the flesh of the shellfish cool is applied to boils. A further cure for the itch is made by pounding a coconut shell into a fine powder. This is placed in a jar, over a hot fire, and a piece of iron is laid over the top. The sweat which collects on the iron is said to give instant relief. An infected, bad, finger or limb is tightly bound, to keep the sickness from going up. Use of betel nut, tobacco, and stimulants, 
A study of the tales and ceremonies makes it evident that the beetle nut way was at one time extensively used, today it occupies an exceedingly important place in the religious rites, but is seldom chewed, when it is offered to the spirits, it is still prepared in the way that is universal throughout Malaysia, the nut of the Arakapamaraka Katachuel is split into four pieces, fresh lime is spread on a piper leaf piper beetle L this is wrapped about the piece of nut, and is ready for chewing. The Arakapam grows well in this territory, and quite an extensive grove is to be found near the village of Bakout. Yet this is the only place where any number of the people are addicted to its use. Tobacco Tabao, on the other hand, is in universal use. Although it certainly was introduced after the arrival of the Spaniards, the leaf is dried, and is rolled into thin cigars which are placed in tiny pipes figure 21. The cigar itself is never held in the lips, nor is the leaf chewed. Young and old of both sexes smoke frequently, but not a great deal at a time. After taking a few puffs, the pipe is stuck into the hair, or under the inner band of the hep, until again needed. The only intoxicating drink made and used by this people is the fermented juice of the sugar cane, known as basi. The juice when extracted from the cane is boiled with water for four or five hours. It is placed in a large jar together with cinnamon bark, and is tightly covered over with leaves. Fermentation begins almost at once, but for a month the drink is raw and little prized. In three or four months, it becomes quite mellow and pleasant to the taste. Jars are sometimes stored away to be opened only for some important event, such as a marriage festival or the celebration of a great ceremony. At such a time a very definite procedure is followed. The most honored guest is invited to do the serving. He removes the covering, DIPs into the liquor, pours a little on the sides of the jar and then a few drops on the ground as an offering to the spirits. A coconut shell cup is then dipped out, and is carried to the lakai or some other old man. Before he drinks, he raises the cup to the level of his face, and, beginning at his right, offers it to each person in the circle. The one saluted makes a gesture away from his body with his right hand. The palm burned. When all have refused the cup, the man drinks. Often he stops to sing the darling an improvised song in which he compliments his host, bespeaks the welfare of his family, or praises the other members of the gathering, one after another the guests are served, but all was according to age and importance, the women and young people being left to the last, the liquor is quite intoxicating, two or three drinks being sufficient to put the company in a jovial mood, it often happens that one or more will become gloriously drunk, but, as a rule, they are not quarrelsome, and there seems to be no unpleasant after-effects. Domestic animals, dogs, pigs, chickens, and carabao appear to have been long in the possession of this tribe. Horses, goats, and cattle are now owned by some of the people, but only the former are of sufficient number to be considered important. The dogs ass or surly, ill-kept creatures of mongrel breed. They are seldom treated as pets, but are kept for hunting, while federal dogs are considered lazy and hence they are fed only with a rice gruel, which seems to be neither fattening nor satisfactory. When in the village, the miserable creatures wander about under the houses, there to pick up and fight over morsels which may drop from above, or they lie in the ashes of the bonfires, the better to protect themselves from fleas and other enemies. When used in hunting, they are kept in leash until the game is started. When released, they follow the quarry at full cry, and if the game has been injured, they will seldom give up the chase. It is necessary for the hunters to follow the dogs closely and beat them off a slain animal. 
otherwise they will quickly devour it. They are always rewarded with a part of the intestines and some other portions, so that they may be keen for the next hunt. Pigs bodily run at large throughout the villages or in the neighboring underbrush. They are fed at night close to the dwellings, and thus become at least half tame play LXI. Many spend the hot hours of midday beneath the houses, from which they are occasionally driven by the irate housewives, when their squealing and fighting become unbearable. The domestic pigs are probably all descended from the wild stock with which they still constantly mix. Most of the young pigs are born with yellow stripes like the young of the wild, but they lose these marks in a short time. Castration of the young males is usually accomplished when the animals are about two months old. Considerable numbers of chickens men oak are raised. Nets or coops are arranged for them beneath the houses, but they run at large during the daytime. Eggs are an important part of the food supply, but the fowls themselves are seldom killed or eaten, except in connection with the ceremonies. The domestic birds closely resemble the wild fowl of the neighborhood, and probably are descended from them, except for a few strongly influenced settlements. Cockfighting has no hold upon this people. The Carabao or water buffalo nuang is the most prized and valuable animal possessed by this tribe. As a rule, it is handled and petted by the children from the time of its birth, and hence its taming and breaking is a matter of little moment. In the mountain region about Lakub, where most of the animals are allowed to run half wild, only the strongest are broken. The animal is driven into a A-shaped pen, and a heavy pole is fastened across its neck just behind the horns. It is thus prevented from using its strength and is loaded or ridden until it becomes accustomed to the treatment. Carabao are used for drawing the sleds and for plowing and harrowing in the lower fields. Should one be seriously injured, it would be killed and eaten, but strong animals are slaughtered only on very rare occasions. Wild Carabao are fairly abundant in the mountains. They closely resemble the tame stock, and are generally considered to be derived from animals which have escaped. Chapter IX Products of Industry Iron Working Little iron work is now done in the valley of the Abra for the competition of the Ilocano Smiths of Sandu and Nervakan, in Iloco Sur, and the cheap products brought to the coast, and as far inland as Bangud, by Chinese traders, have swamped the native industry. Forges are still found in many villages of eastern Abra, particularly those of the upper Biklok River, but the real center of the industry is in and around Palbalasem, on the eastern side of the mountain range. We have in northern Luzon a situation similar to that found throughout the archipelago, namely, that the most flourishing smithies are usually those farthest removed from the coast traders, where communication is easy and trading restricted. The native industry has vanished, or is on the wane. Today the forges of the Bantakidro, of the Tenginkal in the border villages, and of Apayao, are turning out superior weapons. But elsewhere in the northwestern districts the pagan people have either lost the art, or make only very inferior articles. It is certain that iron working has long been known, not only in the Philippines, but throughout Malaysia, and it is likewise evident that these regions secured the art from the same source as did the people of Assam, Burma, and eastern Madagascar. For the description of the Tengian forge and iron working which follows would, with very little modification, apply equally well to those in use in southern Mindanao, Borneo, Java, Sumatra, Assam, Burma, and Madagascar. Long before the arrival of the Spanish in the Philippines, the Chinese had built up such a lively trade in iron bars and cauldrons that it was no longer necessary for the natives to smelt their own iron ore, if indeed they ever did so. This trade metal was widely distributed, 
and then reworked by the local smiths. Even today the people of Palmalasan make the long journey to Bangud, or even to Vegan, to secure Chinese iron, which they carry back to their mountain forges. There is no positive proof that the Filipinos formerly mined and smelted iron, but there is a strong probability that they did so. Prior to the introduction of trade metal, it has already been noted that the Tangian type of forge and the method of handling and tempering iron is widespread in Malaysia, and, as will be seen later, this process is not that in use among the Chinese, so that it is unlikely that the art was introduced by them. In furnishing iron ready for forging, they were simply supplying in a convenient form an article already in use, and for which there was an urgent demand. In the islands to the south we find that many of the pagan tribes do now, or did until recently, mine and smelt the ore. Beckery tells us that the Cayenne of Borneo extract iron ore found in their own country. Nose and McDougall say that 30 years ago nearly all the iron worked by the tribes of the interior of Borneo was from or found in the river beds. At present most of the pagans obtain the metal from the Chinese and Malay traders, but native ore is still smelted in the far interior, for in iron is now used by the Badak of Sumatra, but deserted iron works are known to exist in their country, while the Minangkabau still possess smelting furnaces, it seems probable that the whole industry had a common source, and was spread or carried as a unit, but when trade relations made the arduous work of mining and smelting unnecessary, it was quickly given up that native iron might have supplied the needs of many Philippine tribes, including the Tengian, is certain, for important deposits of magnetite and hematite are found in Abra, in Ilocos Norte, Angot, Buelacon, Talbai, and other parts of the islands, on several occasions, when on the trail, the natives have called our attention to boulders, apparently of hematite, which they recognized as iron, the smithies are small structures with grass roofs, but no sides or floors play elixiri. At one end is a raised bamboo bench in front of which stands the forge. This consists of two upright wooden cylinders, usually logs hollowed out, known as poopon. In each of these is a piston or plunger doidoyog at the lower end of which is a wooden ring packed with corn husks and chicken feathers. When this is pushed downward in the cylinder, it compresses the air and forces it out of the small opening in the base. But when it is drawn up, the packing collapses and allows the plunger to be raised without effort. These pistons are worked so that one is rising, while the other is falling. The cylinders stand in a wooden block out of which bamboo tubes tolongon conduct the air into a tube of fire clay eye bomb, and this in turn carries it into the charcoal fire. There are no valves, as in the Chinese bellows, but the bamboo tubes fit loosely, and the fire is not drawn back. Near to the hearth is a stone and vildalizdizen while a heavy stone hammer, a small iron hammer, and iron pinchers complete the outfit. The fire is lighted, and the operator sitting on the bench alternately raises and lowers the plungers in the cylinders until the fire burns brightly, then the smith puts metal into the coals and allows it to remain until it reaches a white heat. It is then removed and placed on the anvil, where his helper beats it out with the large hammer. This is a stone weighing 20 or more pounds fitted inside the handle so that it can be used with both hands. As a rule, it is swung between the legs, and is allowed to strike the metal as it descends, but some of the men raise it above the shoulder and strike a much more powerful blow. If two pieces of metal are to be welded together, as is often the case when broken cauldrons are used, they are laid, one overlapping the other, and are held together with damp fire clay. In this condition they are placed in the fire and heated, and are then beaten together. 
it often takes several firings to bring about a perfect weld. After the initial shaping, the smith completes the work with the small hammer, and the blade is ready for tempering. A bamboo tube of water is placed nearby, and the blade is again inserted in the fire and brought to a white heat. Then the smith withdraws it and watches it intently until the white tone begins to turn to a greenish yellow. When he plunges it into the water, the tempered blade is now smoothed down with sandstone, and is wetted to a keen edge. Head axes, spear heads, adzes, a few knives, and the metal ends for the spear shafts are the principal products of the forge. The blades are by no means of equal temper or perfection, but the smiths of the Tengenkal in the border villages seldom turn out poor weapons, and as a result, their spears and head axes have a wide distribution over northwestern Luzon. In view of the wide distribution of this type of forge and method of iron working, of its persistence in isolated communities, while it has vanished from the coast, or has been superseded by the Chinese methods of work, as well as of other details here described, the writer is of the opinion that the art has not been introduced into the Philippines through trade, but is a possession which many or all of the tribes brought with them from their ancient home, probably somewhere in southeastern Asia. The effects of trade, in historic times, are evident throughout the Christianized regions, in Chinese and European forges and in foreign types of utensils. Likewise the influence of the Mohammedanized tribes is very marked in the Sulu archipelago, the western coasts of Mindanao and even among many of the pagan tribes of that island, but the isolated forges throughout Malaysia and the methods described by early explorers in this field, are practically identical with those just reviewed, spinning and weaving, that cotton coppice was being raised and the fiber spun into cloth at the time of the Spanish occupation of the islands, is amply proved by many references in the early chronicles, also there was a considerable trade in cotton, silk, and the like carried on by the Chinese and the Brunei Moro. The weaving industry seems to have reached its height in the Ilocos provinces, where the processes of ginning, carding, spinning, and weaving were, for the most part, identical with those found in Borneo, Java, the Malay Peninsula, Burma, and a large part of India. The same methods and utensils are used among the Tengian, but side by side with the more complicated devices, such as the ginning machine and spinning wheel are found more simple contrivances, so it would appear that we are here dealing with older and more primitive methods of work than are found on the coast. Every step in the manufacture of cloth is looked after by the women, who raise a limited amount of cotton in the upland fields, pick and dry the crop, and prepare it for weaving. The bowls are placed on racks, and are sun-dried, after which the husks are removed by hand. Ginning is accomplished by two methods, the simplest, and doubtless the older is to place the cotton on a smooth wooden block and to roll over it a wooden cylinder which tapers slightly toward each end figure 16. Number 1. The palm of the hand, at the base of the fingers, is placed on the roller and the weight of the body applied, as the cylinder is moved slowly forward, forcing the seeds from the floss. The more common instrument Lilidson acts on the principle of a clothes ringer plate elixiri. Two horizontal cylinders of wood are geared together at one end and are mounted in a wooden frame in such a manner that they are quite close together, yet not in contact. A handle is attached to the lower roller at the end opposite the gears, and as it is turned, it rotates the cylinders in opposite directions. A piece of cotton is pressed between the rollers, which seize the fibers and carry them through, while the seeds are forced back and fall to the ground. The clean cotton is never about or otherwise separated with a vibrating string, as is the case in Java. 
India, and China, but the same result is obtained by placing it on a piece of carabao hide and beating it with two rattan sticks until it becomes soft and fluffy plate elixide. After the carding, the cotton is spun by placing it in a hollow cylinder of palm bark attached to a bamboo stick to tie A bit of thread is twisted from the cotton at the bottom of the cylinder, and is attached to a spindle, which is rubbed rapidly against the naked thigh, and is then allowed to turn in shallow basket, or on a piece of hide. As it spins it twists out new thread and the arm of the operator rises higher and higher, until at last the spindle stops. The position of the extended arm is then altered and the spindle again set in motion in order to wind up the new thread on the shaft. While the spinning is progressing, the free hand of the operator is passed rapidly up and down the thread, keeping the tension uniform and rubbing out any inequalities plate elixvi. In many sections the spinning wheel used by the coast natives is beginning to replace the hand outfit figure 16. Number 5. The mass of fiber is held in the left hand, and a thread from it is attached to a horizontal spindle which is turned by a cord passing over a large wheel. This method is much more rapid than the hand device, but the thread is less uniform, and it is seldom utilized when a fine fabric is to be woven. Bamboo bobbins, consisting of small tubes, are also wound by attaching them to the spindle shaft, so that the thread is transferred by the revolution of the wheel. As soon as the thread is spun, it is placed on a bamboo frame lullabyon. Figure 16. Number 2 on which it is measured and made ready for the combing and sizing. As it is taken from the measuring frame, a bamboo rod is passed through each end of the loop, and these are fastened tightly inside the combing device aid to be gotten by means of rattan bands. The thread is then carefully combed downward with a coconut husk which is dipped in a size of rice water plate elixiri. After drying it is transferred to the shuttles and bobbins by means of the wheel described in the previous paragraph or by a more primitive device called Alolau figure 16, NOS, 4 and 4A. This consists of four horn hooks attached to bamboo sticks, which pass through openings in a bamboo tube in such a manner that they slip on each other, and thus produce a wheel of any size desired. The tube fits loosely over a wooden peg sustaining the wheel in a horizontal position, yet turning readily. The loop of threads from the sizing frame is laid on the hooks, from which it is drawn by hand onto the bobbins and shuttles. The next step is to prepare the warp for the loom. The thread is drawn from bobbins on the floor, and is first fastened to peg number 1 of the warp winder Gagana Young, as shown in figure 16. Number 3. From here it I.